Good morning. I'm so excited to be with you all this morning. Like she said, my name is Courtney Bentz, and I am um, a part of Free Chapel. It's a church. We have multi-campuses, different rooms, um, but our primary campus is in Gainesville, Georgia. So about two hours. Is this north? West of me. See, I knew. Um, And uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Um, My parents, uh, I get to serve there. My parents are pastors there, Pastor Jensen and Sharice Franklin. And so um, I'm really excited to be here, but I'm missing home this morning. And um, I sure do love and I honor my pastors and my parents and that they're allowing me to come out and spend the morning at this incredible church with you guys. Um, And I have a picture. I um, have been married this year will be 15 years to the single hottest piece of human flesh on the planet. This is our really put together photo. That's my husband, Tyler. That's our oldest daughter right there in the middle, Amelia Jude. And that is our Spitfire, Elliot Collette, second born little psychopath there. This is what we look like usually never, but this is another photo of actually what we look like if they still have the other one. Maybe not. If not, it's fine. But before I left um, the house on Friday night, it was pouring down rain, if some of you remember the monsoon that was taking place. And I asked my daughters, I said, "Um, will you guys pray for me? And my somber firstborn said, I will pray for you in silence in my head. Um, And my secondborn said, I will pray for you, Mama. And she said, Jesus, don't let her get in a wreck. And I said, oh, my gosh. I wasn't even thinking about that. She said, Jesus, don't let her drive too fast. And I felt called out by that. And then she said, and Jesus, if don't let him say anything bad about her if her preach is real bad. And I thought, well, thanks, baby. I, I really appreciate that. So you've all been rebuked. If I bomb this morning, you're not allowed to say anything bad because my second born has a, a straight line to the Lord. Um, and so um, I appreciate that. That's us in our more regular attire we prefer to be in. This is us in Glacier National Park this summer and hiking. That's where we prefer to be outside. Amen. That's where Jesus is, I believe. But I want to get right into it this morning. Um, the Bible talks about different types of word, and there are words and messages that edify the body of Christ. And I believe that he's given me a message today that edifies the body of Christ. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I have a message for you today. Um, I honor your pastors, Pastor Robin and Mark. It's been such a joy to be with you guys this weekend. What an incredible group of people you are. The women's conference was incredible. And um, just, I honor your pastors. I know you love them. Do you love your pastors? Yeah? Give them a round of applause. to quickly jump into this. This is um, the writing of Paul. Um, He was an apostle in the Bible. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. He was once um, someone who deeply persecuted Christians, and then he had a radical encounter with Jesus, and he became, again, the essentially one of the main authors of the New Testament, um, arguably one of the greatest evangelists to ever walk the face of the earth. Um, He's still evangelizing to this day. And so I want us to start reading in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. This is Paul writing this, referring to himself. For I am the least worthy of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, 
because I at one time fiercely oppressed and violently persecuted the church of God. But the remarkable grace of God, but by the remarkable grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not without effect. Some versions say was not in vain. In fact, I work harder than all of the apostles. Though it is not I, but the grace of God, his unmerited favor and blessing, which was with me. I want to speak to you for a few minutes today on don't waste your grace. Grace, a lot of the time, is something that we sing about. You know, everybody knows amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. But grace is not just a teaching. It's not just a doctrine. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. God's love isn't based on our performance. It isn't based on what Jesus did on the cross, the finished work of the cross. Grace is a gift freely given to you through that cross. Grace takes what should disqualify us, our greatest weaknesses, our biggest mistakes, and it qualifies us, a lot like what Pastor Mark was just talking about. It takes the thing that should take us out, And it says that's what qualifies you. How do I know that? Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. He says, after Paul asked him over and over again, remove this thorn in my flesh. He had something, we're never told what. And he asked God over and over and over, remove this thorn from my flesh. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, God's power, is made perfect in your weakness. The amplified version of the Bible says it like this. I love it. For my power is being perfected and is completed, and I love this, and it shows itself most effectively in your weakness. When we give God our weakness, his power and in and through our lives is made perfect and made most effective. God never intended to save you and then leave you where you were. He's not intimidated by your mistakes. He's not intimidated by your failures. And please, please hear me. I'm not saying that you in any way, shape, or form have to earn this grace. You can't. Anything plus grace is not grace. (laughs) Anything plus the cross is not the cross. (laughs) It's not the story. It's not about do, do, do. It's about done, done, done. (laughs) It's already done. Grace means all your mistakes now serve a purpose instead of serving your shame. Grace is God's unmerited favor. That's what the Bible calls it. And God's favor is not achieved. It's not earned. It is simply received from a heavenly father who absolutely adores you. And he paid the ultimate price for you on the cross. You can never be any more or less loved by God than you are right now. Nothing you can do, nothing you can make happen can make you be more loved than you are right now. And good news, nothing you can do can make you less loved by God than you are right now in this very second. But grace is not an insurance policy for us to go and do whatever it is that we want to do and come back and say, well, it's grace, 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 grace. No, grace gives us responsibility. 
I know this because Titus chapter 2 and verse 12 says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation, there's a saving grace, has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. He was not taken aback by who our president is. He was not taken aback that they're trying to tell us that you're born and you can choose to be whatever gender you choose to be. He's not taken aback by the riots in the streets, by the wars. He's not taken aback by AI. He's not taken aback by nuclear warheads. He said, in the present age, I don't care what the world calls right and what I call wrong. It does not change. And I give you a teaching grace, the Bible says, that you can still live denying ungodliness and all worldly ways, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from, everybody say it with me, every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, I love this, zealous for good works. It is a saving and a teaching grace that allows us to live holy, to live set apart, to live differently than the world. Paul said this, his grace towards me was not in vain. Did Paul understand that it is possible to receive the full gift of grace yet still waste the benefits and the power it provides in our life. That is what I want to talk to you about today. Not wasting your grace. The Bible tells us in John chapter 4 about the woman at the well. It's a story that a lot of people know. But the Bible says that, that Jesus, he specifies that this woman, she was um, a Samaritan and she had been married five times and was living with number six. And the Bible says that Jesus went in the noontime. So the Bible, anytime the Bible says anything, every single word in this book has meaning and power. And he says, it says that she went to the well in the noontime. Jesus was there. The reason she went in the noontime, most of the time in biblical times, we hear five, married five times, living with number six. All right. In our present age. Okay. Back then, she would have been a complete and total outcast in her town. She probably was coming, and a lot of theologians believe she was coming at noon. Most of the women went to gather water at the well. They went together, number one, for protection. And two, they went in the morning early in the cool of the day, and they went in the evening at the cool of the day. They did not go at noon in the hottest part of the day in the desert to gather water. But this woman, who nobody wanted to be associated with, went to the well at noon. And when she got to the well, she met a man named Jesus. And they start having this exchange. And the Bible says that he asked her, will you get me some water? Will you fetch me some water? And she says, uh, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Uh, would you even, I can't believe you'll even talk to me, much less would you drink from what I, I pull up out of this well for you, you're better than me. And Jesus goes on to have this conversation with her. And he says, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for water. And she says, you don't even have a bucket to pull the water out. 
And he says this, I love this in verse number um, 13. Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water. Satisfying his thirst for God, welling up, I love this, continually flowing, bubbling over within him to eternal life. He goes on to say, look, I'm here so that the fact that you're a Samaritan and I'm a Jew, I'm about to tear a veil and separate the distance between us. I am the Messiah. I know everything about you. I know you're living with number six. I know you've been married with number five, but I do not condemn you. I've come to give you grace and salvation and living water. And this woman who in the heat of the day alone would carry out her pails, went running back to the village, the Bible says in verse 29, yelling, come, come and see. Come and see the man who told me everything about me. Come, come and see. He must be the Messiah. Come and see the man who told me everything I have done. A man named Jesus, the person of grace. Grace told her all about her, her greatest mistakes, her greatest insecurities, the things that other people shamed her for, the grace of Jesus used to qualify her. Grace told her all about her, and he still wanted to use her. Grace knows everything about you, all the things that you hide, all the secret addictions that you have, all the things that everybody else thinks are taken care of in your life, the secret moments. Grace knows, and it's still, he still wants you. I, I grew up in a southern home, obviously. I'm from Georgia, and I don't know about y'all, but when your grandmother cooks, does she, um, is she a little excessive? Are there any grandmas in here? Why do y'all feel the need to cook like 17 pieces of meat and like 42 vegetables for like five people? I don't know, but I appreciate it. Um, I don't know how that legacy is going to be continued on for my children and my grandchildren because I'm not there. But does anybody know what it's like when you go in and, you know, you pile your whole plate up and it's like a mountain, you get in there and usually they, they make lunch at like two. So when you come in, you're like starving to death. So as teenagers, we'd come into my grandmother's house, she'd have all fried chicken and all the things and, and steak and I'm fasting right now. So I'm just living, just thinking about it. Um, and so we would pile our plates high and sit down, and all the teenagers would sit there and start just scoffing down the food. And she'd walk in and say, uh-uh, you said grace? Well, oh my gosh, we know what? We haven't said grace. <laughs> so I have a mouthful of food. Have you said your grace lately? Have you invited someone to church lately? Have you... Maybe some of you have been saved for decades. Maybe some of you have been saved for a long time. Have you lost your strive and your need to tell people, come, come and see? I need to tell you about my Jesus. I need to tell you about this grace that has changed my entire life. Have you said your grace lately? Don't forget before you take a bite out of another blessing to say your grace. Has he been faithful to you? Has he provided for you? Has he shown up over and over and over again? 
Has he qualified you when you thought you had disqualified yourself? Why don't you say grace for a second and praise the Lord for what he's done? Here's your opportunity. I love this. I love this. The next verse says this. This is how radical grace is. The Bible says in verse 30, so the people, she goes running back to this town, the same town of people who looked down on her, would not talk to her, would not associate with her. She goes running back to this town saying, come, come and see. You have to come and see my Jesus. And verse 29 says this. I'm sorry, verse 30 says this. So the people left the city and were coming to him. And if you skip to verse 39, it says this, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. He told me everything I did. Everything that should disqualify me. The Bible says in verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man is really the savior of the world. Did she save them? No. Is it our responsibility to save people? No, it's not. But it is our responsibility to open up our mouth and give our testimony and tell people. Jesus is real. He loves you. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a reason for living. I can give it to you. Come and meet him, and then he'll do the rest. But we keep him to ourselves. Don't waste your grace. Your story has meaning. When is the last time someone was compelled to come to church because of the love of God they saw through your life? When was the last time someone wanted to come and see about your Jesus? Because you just simply couldn't keep him to yourself. She didn't waste the grace that was shown to her. The grace that took her from being an outcast to an evangelist in a matter of minutes. The whole town. The whole town that rejected her. She brought him back to Jesus. The grace that took her and destroyed her shame and guilt... She went running back and transformed an entire city and town. Believers Church, do you believe that that's the kind of grace that's in this room? For Douglasville, Georgia, for the state of Georgia, for the nation, for the world today, we have the answer. He gave us his grace with an expectation of overflow. The Bible says, if you notice in verse 14, but the water that I give you, will become in him a spring of water, satisfying his thirst for God, welling up, continually flowing, bubbling over within him. He said, I will give you water and you'll never have to drink again. Then why did he put a spring inside of her? If she could have had one sip of the water and never thirsted again, then what was the need for him to put a spell, a, a, a spring inside of her, a well, overflowing, continually bubbling over because he had an expectation of overflow. Not out of obligation in any way, shape, or form. Our works are as filthy rags. Please understand. It's not out of an expectation or an obligation. It's out of an admiration for, oh, look what the Lord has done in our lives. I cannot keep him to myself. 
He just doesn't want to satisfy your thirst for living water. He desires to give you an internal spring of living water, welling up in love for others, continually flowing with grace and mercy for all of those surrounding you, bubbling over with words of your testimony, pouring out and pointing people to your Jesus. Don't waste your grace. He was never meant to be kept to yourself. You were never meant to wallow in self-pity for the rest of your life. She could have gone right back to that city and been just as ashamed. But grace sets you free. (laughs) And when you really get that concept, when you really understand it's nothing that I have done, but everything that he has done. That's when you can turn into a come. I need you to come and see. I need you to meet my Jesus. It's why I am willing to stand up here. I know a lot of you don't know my story. I should not be up here at all. I'm just like Pastor Mark. I'm not qualified for this. But I met a man named Jesus, and he changed my whole life. And now I cannot keep him to myself. I need everyone and anyone who will hear me. He loves you. 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 Every piece, every broken part, every part of you that other people have rejected. I don't care what other people have said about you, over you, and to you. I don't care if your own parents have rejected you. You are loved immeasurably by a savior. And I know because I've experienced it and I cannot keep him to myself. I refuse to waste this grace. It will not be in vain on me. God has been too good to me. He's been too kind to me. That family that I just showed you a picture of, who I don't deserve it. But because of his unmerited favor, and grace. Just like Paul and Silas, Paul was wildly aware of the grace of God on his life. He talks about it continually. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16 and 25, Paul and Silas were thrown into a jail cell. And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the who? The other prisoners were listening. There are people that are in chains all around you, and they're listening to what you're doing in your midnight hour. They're seeing if that Jesus you've talked about in your mountaintop moment, if he's still the God in your dungeon, if he's still going to be good enough in your dungeon. And I love this. The Bible says, and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and whose chains came off? Everyone's chains came loose. In Paul's midnight hour, his praise not only set him free, but all the prisoners around him free too. He wasn't willing to stop praising and stop using the grace of God that had been given to him even in his dungeon. And the Bible says that the, the jailer, the person who put the chains on him, he ended up getting him saved too, told him about Jesus. Then the Bible says that took him to his house. And the Bible says in verse 34, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Have you allowed the grace of God 
that he has given you to affect those in your life who have persecuted you the most? That's when it's hard. Has the grace of God through you helped bring salvation to those who put chains on you? Because it can. You can show grace to people who don't deserve it because you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. All of us fall short. None of us deserve it. I think about Joyce Meyer when I hear this scripture. Her father, if you don't know her testimony, raped her every single day of her life until she was 18 years old. If you go through, go Google that woman's testimony. (laughs) And she said that God spoke to her. She got saved. She began preaching. She got married. Her husband left her. And then she she got remarried eventually. Just crazy story. But the Bible says when she was older in life and her father and her mother were older in life, God spoke to her and said, "Um, you're going to purchase them a home. And um, you're going to take care of your father. And she said, no. He said, yes, you are. Because you're going to show him the same grace that I've shown you. That's radical. I know that's crazy. That's insane. But she led that man to the Lord. I believe she baptized him before he died. That's the kind of radical, life-changing grace that is readily available for you today. I think about the, the woman in Luke chapter 7. The Bible calls her a sinful woman. That she came and she broke her alabaster box open. And she didn't pour it on the head of Jesus. She got down. And it wouldn't be like, sir, if I came over here and I took your boots off. Those are some nice boots, by the way. If I took your boots off and I started washing your feet. Your feet are probably pretty clean right now, right? Because they've been covered up. Assuming you got socks on. Yeah. They wore sandals in dirt. I've been to Israel. And back then, it's now more of a desert place than it was then, but a lot of it was a swamp. The filth. Back then, they didn't have toilets. So guess where people went to the restroom? So this is not, we, we, we somehow, we take Bible stories and we put them in our modern day, and that's not what it was. <laughs> His feet would have been filthy, and she took a year's worth of wages and broke it, got down on her knees, kissed his feet, and washed his feet with her hair, with her tears, and everyone around her said, you're crazy. You're insane. That's a year, and you're pouring it on his feet? But she was wildly aware Of just how good and how kind. And Jesus said this, therefore I say to you, her sin, which is, this is important, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. I don't know about you, but I have not been forgiven of a little. I have been forgiven of a whole lot. And I am willing and ready and able to pour out my oil because you don't know what it cost. 
If you hear somebody in this room and they're a little bit louder when they're singing during worship and I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again because all that I have is a hallelujah and you think you need to calm down. You don't know the price. You don't know the cost of that oil. You don't know how good God has been to that person over and over and over again. And I refuse, my soul, I, I remind it often, does not have to get shy on me to praise the Lord, to say, my grace to not waste this incredible life-changing grace that he has given to me I intend to tell everybody but I don't care how crazy I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ I am not ashamed I know I'm up here yelling I don't really know I don't know if Pastor Mark and Pastor Robin get loud I do if you've ever heard my daddy preach I think it's hereditary I try to stay calm but who, when I think about what he's done for me, when I think about that pit that he pulled me out of, when I think about how he redeemed me, how he blessed me, how he's given me a husband who loves me, how he's given me two children, how I have a home that I live in, how I have breath in my lungs, how I'm able to get up this morning. It doesn't have to be material things. It's everything that his presence goes with me every single day, that he's never left me nor forsaken me. I can't keep that to myself. Don't waste your grace by keeping your mouth shut. Matthew 5.14 says this, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Are you saved by your good deeds? No. Could your good deeds lead people to Jesus? Yep. They can point them to him. We're living in some dark days, but we don't have to live in darkness. <laughs> we are the light of the world. We have the answer, church. You guys have the answer for the city of Douglasville. Lionsgate, Tyler Perry, all those celebrities that are coming. We have the answer. We have the answer for our children, for every situation that's being taught to them is in this book. It's right here. Every answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. He's the only way. Listen to Andre this morning, and he blessed my soul. We're a place of refuge for all who are hurting. This is a hospital for the broken, a place where all are welcome. And you guys, I just, as we were singing gratitude there, I, have, I, I was thinking about how we're standing here and we're all worshiping, and I could hear you so beautifully singing. And I just thought, man, all of our campuses right now at Free Chapel are doing the same thing. And I guess because I'm pretty regularly in the same church on Sunday mornings, I haven't really thought about the fact that as a united community of believers, millions of people, millions of people are praising the Lord. Whew, that's where miracles take place with all of the faith in the room. What can God do? What can he accomplish? He isn't just going to give you living water. He's going to put a well of living water inside of you that is overflowing onto others all around you. 
He isn't just going to break your chains. He's going to set other captives free with your praise. How many people are waiting on you? How many people are waiting on you today? There is a responsibility that comes with this grace. There are people who are waiting on you to get out of that self-pity rut, feeling sorry for yourself, making every excuse that you can on why you're disqualified now, and tell people about the grace that you've been given and shown. He has good plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We have the answer, and I don't want to go to heaven and be standing there alone. I want to look around at all the people that maybe it was through a smile, maybe it was through a message, maybe it was through just a singular phone call that I helped bring with me. I don't want to keep him to myself. I don't want to waste this incredible grace that has been given to me. Sometimes we get so focused on ourselves, but the best way to get out of that rut, if you're feeling in a rut, if you're feeling like I just can't, I can't get up, like I don't know what to do, I've I've had this, and I'm not taking away from the devastating things that happen in life. They happen, they come. We see that over and over and over. Go read the story of Elijah in the Bible. He was so devastated and depressed that he said, God, kill me. But do you want to know what got him out of that rut? A still small voice. And what's the next thing that he went to do? Anoint Elisha. He poured out his anointing. He said, what God's given to me, I'm going to give to others. First Peter 4 says this, Be hospitable to one another without complaint, just as each one of you has received a special gift, a spiritual talent, an ability graciously given by God. Employ it in serving one another as is appropriate for good stewards of God's multifaceted grace. Faithfully using the diverse, varied gifts and abilities granted to Christians by God's unmerited favor. Multifaceted means this, having a variety of different and important features or elements. When I think about a multifaceted, the multifaceted grace of God, it's much like a diamond. It's got several facets and faces, but it reflects one light. Each one of us is a different face of grace. This is why we can't waste it, because your story, your life, is an expression of God's grace that's unique and specific to you. It's a story that someone else needs. Maybe you were set free from a life of drugs and alcohol and addiction. Someone in this room today needs to know that there's hope. They're still in it. That you can wake up tomorrow and not have to pick up a bottle to get through the day. There's someone in here that needs you to speak your grace, to not waste your grace, and let them know that there is a way and a person named Jesus who can break those chains of addiction off of your body. If you battled with suicide and depression and God reached down and pulled you out of that darkness, somebody needs to see your face of grace. And know that they can make it. 
If God has healed your body, somebody needs to see your face of grace. Someone needs to know that he is still the God that healeth thee. He's still a miracle worker. Maybe you came from poverty and God has blessed you beyond your wildest dreams. Somebody who's trying to, an entrepreneur, a young entrepreneur in this church is trying to make something work, starting a business, stepping out in faith. They need to know, yes, he's with you. If you'll, if you'll tithe, if you'll make sure you're given, if you'll make sure you honor him in all of your ways, God's grace will come on you. Maybe you're walked through abuse of some kind. And God has so miraculously set you free like Joyce or like Paul and Silas in the jail cell. God needs you. He needs your face of grace. You can't stay in it. I'm not saying it's not bad, but I'm telling you that somebody is waiting for you to tell them that there is freedom on the other side. Maybe you've walked through grief I think about you. Maybe, maybe you've buried your child. That's not a pain that I have ever experienced. But Jesus has. God the Father has. And there's a grace that's put on you because of that. It's not fair. It doesn't feel right. That you can speak and minister to people because you know a pain that's indescribable within words. That you're able to bring comfort to others. There's a ministry that can be birthed out of your greatest pain and heartache in life. There are rehabs in this room that have yet to be built. There are giving ministries in this room that have yet to be built. And it doesn't have to just be getting up on the stage and Talking or preaching, it can be opening a door and greeting and volunteering. It can be the wonderful people who are taking care of all y'all's hoodlums right now in the children's department. If you come here every week and all you do is expect, well, that pastor better have something for me. You're living on a surface level. There's so much more. There's so much more. We're starting another service. Guess who's going to fill it up? Y'all. Guess who's going to invite your neighbor? Guess who's going to go tell people, come and see, come and see, come and see, come and see. Guess who's going to pay for the lights to be turned on Saturday night, for the machines to be turned on? Everybody say, I am. Say it like you mean it. Let Pastor Mark know, because, see, I'm a pastor's kid, so I know the stress that comes with, with growing. I know the stress that comes with those things that's on their shoulders as they begin to pioneer and they begin to grow and expand. There's this, oh, God, if you don't show up, if they don't get on board, what are we going to do? It's not just on them. It's on every one of you. We cannot waste this grace I have to think that Paul considered his moment in prison when he wrote this, and I'm closing. When he wrote this, I, I feel like he had to have thought about all the trials and all the horrible things that had taken place in his life. He had been persecuted. Go read your, this book. It's just fascinating. Please go read it. Okay? I promise it's in there. It's, 
better than any movie you'll ever see. <laughs> Some wild stuff in this book. It's all true. I have to think, though, that Paul considered his moments in prison with Silas when he wrote these powerful words in 2 Corinthians. Working together with him, because please understand that the theme and the pattern of the New Testament is it's a participation gospel. He says, come to me, to the disciples, and I will what? I will make you fishers of men. We are co-laborers. Working together with him, we strongly urge you not to receive God's grace in vain by turning away from sound doctrine and his merciful kindness. For he says, at the acceptable time and the time of grace, I listened to you and I helped you on the day of salvation. Behold now, this is the acceptable time. Behold, this is the day of salvation. We put no obstruction in anyone's path so that the ministry will not be discredited. But we command ourselves in every way as servants of God, in great endurance, in suffering, in hardships, in distress, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger, in purity, in sincerity, in knowledge, in spiritual insight, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in speaking the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapon of righteousness for the right hand, like holding a sword to attack and the left hand holding a shield to defend amid glory and dishonor by evil report and good report, branded as deceivers yet vindicated as truthful. I love this as unknown to the world yet well known by God. Do you know that there are preachers that are on TV? There are people who are famous And they're well-known to people, but the Bible says that there are people, I'm not interested in in, in being unknown to, um, being known by the world, but being unknown by God. There are people when we get to heaven that I think we have this idea of, oh, they're really going to be up there. They're not. It's the guy who's directing traffic every Sunday when you come in smiling, rain or shine, standing out there in the 30 degrees, going, welcome to church. I can't wait for you to come and see my Jesus. That's who's going to be well known in heaven. As dying, yet we live. As punished, yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet bestowing riches on many. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. What a lesson, what a legacy of grace that we can leave to our children. An example that in the good times and the bad times. Mama said, I'm not going to waste my grace. I've seen this. I'm so thankful for my parents that I've seen this displayed in their life. And if you all stand to your feet, we're closing out. I just want to bless you today. I just want to charge you today with this, that maybe it's in your home, maybe it's in your marriage. I guarantee you it's in your workplace. It's in your community. It's in this city. It's in this town and it's in this church. God has given you a face of grace that no one else on this planet has. I implore you, don't waste your grace. Don't waste your grace with that child. 
Don't waste your grace with that spouse. Like Pastor Mark said, Robin wouldn't give up on him. If you feel like giving up on your spouse today, this is God telling you, no. I'm with you. I have a plan. I know it's painful. I know it hurts. But oh, I'm going to bring so much beauty from these ashes. Maybe you have a child who's lost an addiction, who's out in the world today. You might not even know where they are. Don't waste your grace. You don't have to keep telling them you're disappointed in them. Speak to the king in them. I love you. I just want to call you and tell you I love you. I love you. Will you come to church with me? Will you come to church with me? I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Love never fails. They don't need to hear how bad they've screwed up. I promise you they know. They need to be reminded that there's a safe place. There's a home that they can come back to, a refuge that's readily available. Speak to what God calls them. You're chosen. You're called. God has a mighty plan for your life. He's not done with you yet. Believers Church, you're going to change this city. I believe it. But it's only going to happen if you choose, and it's a choice, on the good days and in the bad, in the pain and the sorrow and the joy and in the laughter, to not waste your grace. Maybe today you need to go sign up and figure out each one of these musicians on this stage, you're not wasting your grace. This song cost you something. Singing those songs cost you each something. Playing these instruments cost you something. But you're not wasting the grace that God has given and put on your life. Where do you need to get involved in this church in order to not waste your grace? Father, today I just ask that you overwhelm us with your grace. The person of Jesus. God, today I ask that you give us the taste of your living water and you create and spring up in us a well bubbling over so that we can impact everyone around us with this unmerited favor that comes from you. And just like the woman at the well, God, some of us, we've been saved for a long time. And we've gotten comfortable coming to our same pew and our same seat every Sunday. And we've forgotten that you have called us to more than just receiving. That you've called to make us fishers of men. God, let us pick up that responsibility today. This extravagant grace that you've given us, Lord. Let us pick it up today and share with others in our communities, in our towns, in our workplaces. And God, if there's anyone in this room today who hasn't experienced and hasn't met my kind, loving Jesus, draw them today. Do what only you can do. Compel them. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit, the Comforter. I thank you, Father, for dreams and for visions and for ministries 
that are being birthed right now. And while we sing this next song, God, I ask that you just impregnate your people with dreams. Impregnate your people with purpose, with ministries, with things that they can do to bring more people to you. Their pain has not been without a purpose. And God, as we worship you today, I ask that you give them a new dream, that you give them a new face of grace in their mind that they're going to call after this service, that they're going to invite to church for that that 5 p.m. service on Saturday nights, that they're going to fill each seat to where they got to start breaking out walls in this place. So there's not enough room, not because we care about numbers, but because we care about souls. I thank you for Believer's Church. I thank you for these pastors, Father. I ask that you bless them and keep them. May your face shine upon them. May you lift up your countenance upon them. And may you give them peace. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.